I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Happy Happy Pride Pride Month, Month, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's Pride Month, and I wanted to tell a story about four really inspiring Latina lesbian women who... Unfortunately, we're wrongfully convicted, but turned it around. We're super perseverant, and they are awesome. It is the San Antonio Four. I'm so excited to hear this story. I've never heard it before, so I'm like, let's go. (laughs) Okay, perfect. So first, let me tell you about who these women were. The first one is Elizabeth Ramirez. She goes by Liz, and she had a bit of a difficult life in her teenage years because she came out as lesbian at 16 and her parents totally rejected her and she had to become legally emancipated from her parents because they wouldn't support her. Mm -hmm. And she was living with her older sister, Rosemary, and her brother-in-law, Javier, all through high school or not all through high school, but ever after she came out and was emancipated, she lived with Mm -hmm. them. And then After she graduates, she gets pregnant and she moves out on her own. So that's kind of where she is at at this point, living on her own, pregnant with her girlfriend, whose name is Christy Mayhew. And she goes by Chris. She's the second of the San Antonio Four. Mm -hmm. And like I said, she is dating Liz, living with her. And she also had just graduated high school and was planning to go to Texas A&M to study to become a veterinarian. So I think that she was just like saving up money and like waiting to apply. Then the third of the San Antonio four, her name is Anna Vasquez and she knew Liz in high school. So that's the first connection of the four. Mm -hmm. And she was also about to begin college. She wanted to become an RN and she was working at Little Caesars, saving up money to go to college. And her girlfriend in the fourth of the San Antonio Four is Cassandra Rivera, who goes by Cassie. And she had two small kids and was dating Anna and just doing the, like, young mom thing, like, working really hard raising her kids. So, like I said, Anna and Liz knew each other from high school. But one day, all four of them are at HEB, which is a grocery store in Texas, and they all run into each other. They instantly click. They probably bonded over the fact that they were four Latina lesbian women when it's not okay to be those things yes, where they exactly. live. In fact, Lawrence v. Texas wasn't even decided until 2003, so technically homosexual sex was still illegal in the state of Texas at the time that these girls met each other. So that just like makes me so mad. I know. (laughs) So that's kind of the whole setting for this. So in 1994, Stephanie and Vanessa, who are seven and nine, are Liz's nieces and they stay over at Liz's house for a week. It was like the end of summer break and their parents, Rosemary and Javier, were going on a trip. So they just asked if Liz would watch the two girls. So like I said, because the four women were so close, they were basically together all the time. All of them were constantly over at Liz and Chris's apartment and particularly when the nieces were there because they were helping out. Mm -hmm. So all four of the women and Stephanie and Vanessa together for a week. A little bit after the girls leave and they're back home, they claim that the four women gang raped them. What? I'm, okay. 
<laughs> that just, okay. So uh, that just takes away from real victims a false okay, accusation. Okay, but there's seven and nine, so don't get there's mad seven at seven and nine? Okay, 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 okay. Wait till... Okay. Okay. You, your, oh, anger no. will, your anger will have a place oh. to go later. But. Okay, I already know what it's going to be. Okay. <laughs> oh, fucking God. Okay. So, as evident by your reaction right now, the allegations are absurd. And I'm not going to explain what happened or what they alleged happened. Because it was a lot of, like, they put this item inside of me kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just like, not fun to think about. No. But... It was just really extreme, the story. So extreme that if it were, probably if it were not for lesbian women that were being accused of doing this, then the investigation probably wouldn't have even happened because it just didn't even really line up with reality. And it was just so outlandish that it was like, no, that didn't happen. It seems falsified. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. So just days after Liv's, Liz gives birth to her baby boy. The four women are brought in for questioning, and they are repeatedly asked about their sexual orientation, as if it has anything to do with the allegations. And now we have to talk about something that we've discussed before on this podcast, which is the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. Yes. Because... (laughs) Our favorite thing. It is our favorite thing. Because these four women weren't only accused of sexual abuse, but the entirety of the media and the climate of everyone at this time basically was saying that they gang-raped these little girls for the purpose of devil-worshipping sex rituals. Good Lord. (laughs) It's just... They are sensationalizing it to the the point of what we had talked about in uh, the fear of the satanic panic, especially in Texas. Yes, Texas was like the worst place for this. Yes, because of the religious connotations that come along with culture in Texas. It's solely a religious thing. And in Texas, it was purposefully being used to criminalize homosexuality because the satanic panic... The, a lot of the people who fell victim to this panic were people who were homosexual. So the most famous example of that was the McMartin preschool trial where I'm sure you've heard of this. Mm-hmm. There was a guy working yep. at a preschool. He came out as gay. All the parents freak out. And tons of like, allegations. Satan. Yeah. Everyone. Basically, people were just saying homosexuality is Satan and yeah. we're going to not just think that, but we're going to accuse you of awful crimes. That way you're removed from society via incarceration. And it was Because you're not like us. Yeah. So there's like conversations about the satanic panic that we've had on this podcast that are more lighter conversations like Mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons and like (laughs) Yeah. And then we have the real homosexual Satanists and Corpsewood. Yes. So like (laughs) there's variations of this panic. Yeah. (laughs) And it really comes to fruition in this case. And it's one of the last incidents of satanic panic really making its way into the criminal justice system because it mm-hmm. is in like the mid 90s and it was starting to die out. Yeah. But again, Texas for lesbian women, Latina lesbian yeah, women. Yeah. So not great. Not great. <laughs> and not only did they have these two girls' stories fueled by the satanic panic, but they also had an expert to back it up. So pediatrician Dr. Nancy Kellogg testified that 
internal scars on the girls' vaginas were consistent with sexual abuse. And not only was Dr. Kellogg a respected doctor, but her evidence was accurate at the time. Okay. So later we'll talk about whether this evidence or her conclusion about the internal scarring is still consistent with science today. But at the time, she wasn't ill-intentioned. She wasn't being like, she wasn't lying. This was science at the time. Yeah. And she probably, I mean... Uh, with when faced with this evidence as a medical professional, I'm sure she would be worried about the well-being of these two little girls as well. Of course. So I can yeah. understand why she would want to testify against the four women. But at the same time, the sensationalism of the case is still causing me to not like her. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I respect this doctor because of what mm-hmm. she will do later in the story. But And I don't think that we can even blame her because she was, her testimony was in accordance to science for the time. So it was accurate at the time. It would be akin to someone testifying to hair follicle evidence Mm -hmm. in the 80s. They weren't lying. They just didn't know. Yeah, it just wasn't up to date to our standards. Is it irresponsible? Maybe. Maybe. But I, I don't think that Dr. Kellogg was like trying to wrongfully convict people, but she ended up playing a massive role. Of course. In this. So. In 1997, as the supposed ringleader, Liz, the aunt, was Mm -hmm. convicted of aggravated sexual assault and indecency in her own trial. So she's tried on her own, Mm -hmm. and she has the aggravated enhancer connected to her charge of sexual assault. Okay. With Dr. Kellogg's testimony and with the little girls getting on the stand and testifying to the awful things that they think their aunt did to them. Oh my God. She is convicted and sentenced to 37 and a half years. Holy God. And then we have six months for Brock Turner. That's really nice. <laughs> right. And he had actual witnesses. <laughs> yeah. Okay, continue. Sorry. So Chris, Cassie, and Anna were going to have their own trial because the way the prosecutors viewed it is like Liz. The ringleader. Yeah. She was sacrificing her nieces for this really weird ritual sex thing. There's no. Is there. Did anybody present any actual evidence that it was a Satanistic based ritual? No. It's just the way that people thought at the time. assumed it. Great. Okay. Ugh. Okay. (laughs) And it's like it's like in evidence in reports this might have something to do with... This might. Yeah. Might. That is not the truth. Anyway, continue. So they were going to have their own trial, Chris, Cassie, and Anna. Okay. And even before Liz goes to trial, they're all, like, not worried because it is absurd. Absolutely. And all they have, all the prosecution has, is the two little girls' stories and this expert testimony that is... All, all it is saying is sexual abuse did occur. It's not connecting it to any of the women in any way there wasn't dna or anything like that i was just saying yeah they're the, scar the, the scarring on their vagina is consistent with sexual abuse that's their entire case yeah. so the four women were like i'm this not that worried insane. about it but then when liz gets convicted they're like oh For shit 37 yeah. years that's nuts. 37 and a half years God. and so chris cassie and anna are offered a stellar deal Oh, God. I hate plea bargaining. Okay. They are offered 10 years deferred adjudication. So what that means, if you have, if you have a deferred sentence, say it's 10 years, as in this case, you'll be essentially on probation for those 10 years, given certain terms. You have to 
pro- it would probably like be something like something. you have to go to a sexual um, class. predator class yeah. or like get you probably have to register and so there'd be all these terms that you would do for 10 years and then at the end of the 10 years you would have a hearing that determined if you did x y and z the whole 10 years and then they would not follow through with the charge so they defer the sentencing for 10 years and you just have to do all this for 10 years and then you don't have to serve a day in prison if you do all these things right so if these women had done this crime this would be an amazing deal for them. Absolutely. And based on the fact that Liz was convicted, and if I were one of the three other women, I would have taken the deal. I probably would have too, because facing jail time for something like this is like, it can be detrimental to your life. And the sentence for their charges, which were sexual assault and indecency, carried a sentence of five to 99 years. So, worst case scenario, they're in prison the rest of their lives. That, or they never serve a day in prison, register as a sex offender, and just have, like, a shitty life as a sex offender, but at least they don't go to prison. Mm -hmm. So, like, that was the deal that was offered to them. We don't like plea bargaining. No, I Um, hate plea bargaining. I think plea bargaining causes a lot of wrongful convictions because it pressures people to take a deal because they are literally faced with the decision of, here, do this little thing that's not that bad or risk your entire life in prison. Exactly. And as Latina women, as lesbian women, as women who just watched their friend get sentenced for something that never happened, I would have, like, if I were them, I'd have no hope in the justice system at this point. Oh, absolutely. And I would 1,000% be like, that's, that's going to happen to me. I'm taking yeah. that deal. Like, I didn't do it. I don't want to be a sex offender, but it's better than the alternative. Absolutely. That would be what I would do. Yeah, of course. But they maintain their innocence. Hell yeah, they do. They persevere. They say, hell no, that that didn't happen. We didn't do that. And we're not, you know, we're not going to do what you want. Yeah. We're innocent. Did the defense ever move to dismiss the trial because of lack of evidence? I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> they did. I don't know, but I would. And the judge still let it happen? Well, they, the prosecution had evidence i had an expert right, right, right. test i mean that is evidence true 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 but like i mean that's good evidence it's just that it doesn't connect the women to it and yeah i'm just I, it's just evidence and, of sexual assault it's not necessarily evidence that they committed the sexual assault right and i've watched a trial of a like a child sex assault trial and it's really hard to sit in a room and watch people have to hear terrible things that happen to children and yeah. you you just want to be on the children's side. Absolutely. Like, I can I can understand why people would convict people charged of sex assault on children because they are very persuaded by the warm fuzzies they have for the children and it does to them I think that it Sometimes logic goes out the door and you just want to punish whoever did something terrible to children mm-hmm. and you're given an option of who it is and it's probably difficult to say that it's not them. Yeah. I mean, oh, man, the trial that I watched also didn't have any physical evidence connecting the defendant to mm-hmm. the children and he was convicted. Yikes. Oh, so creepy. Yeah. I think it's just like, to, and that's why I told you earlier because I she was like, mine's not murder. And I was like, mine's not either, but it's like worse than murder. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like, like, 
I mean, I don't yeah. know if it's worse than murder because murder, you're dead. But like, yeah. this is probably the second worst thing you could be accused of is assaulting, mm-hmm. sexually assaulting a, a child. child. Yeah, because it ruins your reputation for other forever, whether or not you're guilty or innocent. It's it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so the women, like I said, they. They believed that the truth would prevail eventually, and Mm -hmm. they're like, I would rather spend my life in prison than be, than admit to doing something as terrible as I've been accused of. Yeah. And I think that maybe if it were, like, burglary or something, like, that would be another story. But, absolutely, like, probably the worst thing ever. Right. At least for burglary, you wouldn't end up on a sex offenders list. Yeah. And... They had some of these women had kids like mm-hmm. they would they wouldn't be able to go drop their kids off at school. They yeah. their kids might be taking a be taken, taken away, away from them. them. They and people who have to register on the sex offenders registry, their lives are really difficult because one of the terms of that is that you can't live within a certain distance of a school. And in certain counties, there is nowhere to live. Yeah, there because there's a lot of concentration of schools and school doesn't have to be. Like it could it could literally it like could be a college it could be a like a random photography school like mm-hmm. it, the rules are really vague yeah and so it would it ruins your life yeah not to I'm not and I'm not trying to defend sex offenders no but, but for people who like who pee in public yeah you get put on the sex the sex offenders list or people who have sex with their partner when their partner's 16 and they're 19 or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be like there are cases out there that are just like come on yeah like like, do you really need to ruin the rest of their lives yep and even people who are actual sex offenders can turn things around and they Mm -hmm. they can receive counseling and things like that and it's like there are some really awful people out there who should be on that registry and you should yeah. know about, but there are also but people some who that pee aren't... in the street are not the people we should be putting on that. <laughs> yeah, registry. and there's even others that they're just not dangerous, and we no. need to chill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that they saw that that would not have been a viable option. No. So in 1998, Chris, Cassie, and Anna are all convicted and sentenced to 15 years for sexual assault and 10 years for indecency. And I believe that those were to be served concurrently, but I, because it said on the wonderful documentary I watched, it said like 15 years. So I think that it was to be conserved concurrently. Gotcha. So during the trial, the Vore Dyer process and jury selection was very difficult because it, it's Texas and it's really hard to find people who aren't homophobic. Yes. And they had a really hard time finding a jury that would give these women a fair trial during the satanic panic and particularly in the area that they are. So the cards were stacked against them. Mm-hmm. One of their attorneys was even like, you're not going to win this. I will fight for you with all I have, but we're not going to win. Yeah. And was just being honest with them. Oh, shoot. That's... That's the worst news you could receive from your attorney, I think. I Saying, like, I will do everything I possibly can to get you off on this, but you will not win. I know. That's just over. That's just like depressing. I know. <laughs> and it's just re- really admirable that despite that, they still were like, I'm not taking that plea deal. Yes. And I think it was like a kind of a good offer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm. I would be terrified to go to prison for that long for something I that I didn't do and have to like appeal constantly and deal with that for the rest of my life. It just sounds like a lot. Yeah. Um, but kudos to those women. I, I mean, what? I mean, that's like a total life journey. That you, ugh, man. Okay. I want to know what happens. Keep going. <laughs> okay. So from 1998 to 2000, 
Cassie, Anna, and Chris are out on bond because they were in an appeal process and the prosecution right. allowed for them to be out to work on their appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't succeed. So they're doing that for approximately two years. But in 2000, a warrant is issued. So they have to turn themselves in and begin their sentences. And this whole time, Liz is actually in prison. So in 2007, a study comes out that basically examined a lot of young girls. This sounds really gross, but it was for a good reason. Uh, vaginas. And um, <laughs> this it was like done in a scientific medical way. So Yeah, because they, apparently we don't know anything about female sex organs. Yeah. It's like... How many years has it been? Oh, the entire time that women have existed on this planet? Right. Okay. We still don't know anything about our bodies. (laughs) So good. Okay, continue. (laughs) So this study particularly looked at the scarring that was referred to by Dr. Kellogg in her expert testimony to see if it actually was consistent with sexual abuse. So they looked at tons of vaginas. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I mean, vagina's not a bad word, but with, like, about a little girl, it feels weird to say. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's it's odd, but it also is something that we should probably be understanding and researching. It was because, for a good purpose, yeah. Yeah, because women's bodies change quite rapidly, and, like, we need to understand that process. Yeah. Because it was it hasn't been understood for so long. And even, in like, even now in India, like, your period, you get put into a tiny little, like, like off base shelter and you just have to be there for the entire week of your period because they don't understand have you never heard of that before currently yeah there's this documentary called period end of sentence and it's about that where women are put into seclusion while they're on their period because they are like evil i'm like literally okay (laughs) it is a natural process that every female has to go through it is evil but for us not for anyone else (laughs) no and the only reason it's evil is because cramps yeah (laughs) so that's and tampons are expensive so expensive so yeah so it's still happening today so that's great yeah awesome So this study looks at the scarring of girls that are not suspected of being sexually abused. It's on their vaginas, too. Well, that's interesting. a natural occurrence. Yes. Do we know why? No, I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure the study does. But all (laughs) I know is that it wasn't, it's not an indicator of sexual abuse. Hmm. And anyone can have it. So (laughs) that's in 2007. In 2008... Liz and all the women have been, obviously, this whole time, writing anyone and everyone they can think of to help them get out of prison. And finally, someone reads the letter and is like, looks into the evidence and truly believes in their innocence. And that is a Canadian biologist named Daryl Otto. Yay, Daryl! And he petitions the National Center for Reason and Justice to sponsor the case, and they agree to support it financially. So... This is 2008. Is it a problem that he's in Canada? Well, he came here to work on it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then in, I don't know if he's in Canada or if he is just Canadian. I don't know if he was a citizen of America. I don't know. It doesn't matter. He was traveling here. It was right. fine. He's here. It's good. <laughs> um, so Daryl and the NCRJ are working on it for about two years. And then in 2010, Debbie Nathan from the NCRJ presents the case to the Innocence Project of Texas. Our Love favorite. the Innocence Project. And they vote to take on the case, yes. which if your case gets selected by an Innocence Project, it's pretty convincing because mm-hmm. they have 
thousands upon thousands of people who write them every day trying to get their like, resources and exactly they get turned down. So, I mean, mm-hmm. this is legit. Obviously, they have like reasonable doubt that these that the conviction is incorrect. Right. And I think even without that study that they probably would have taken it on because mm-hmm. it's so absurd. Absolutely. So Otto begins working with the Innocence Project of Texas and the NCRJ to exonerate the San Antonio Four. Yes. Okay. In 2012, our second really big break comes. So the first one is that study that completely discounts any of the expert testimony. Yeah, the only evidence that they have. And then in 2012, an even bigger win. Stephanie, one of the nieces, the one who was seven, recants her story on camera. <gasps> oh my god! Oh my god! And okay. don't be mad at her because she's no totally she's a victim seven. herself. She's seven. I already know. I already know what she did. I know who did it. I know. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> who did it? You want to guess? Mm-hmm. So she's a niece of Liz, uh-huh. and Liz's parents kicked her out because she was a lesbian. And I think that it was almost like her parents convinced Stephanie to falsify this story. Partly. Partly? Partly. Okay. That wasn't the biggest contributor, but they were definitely, the grandma at least, I don't know what the grandpa's doing, but the grandma, so Liz's mom, Mm -hmm. was definitely in in on this. But the main perpetrator of this lie is Javier, her- Her sister's fiance? Her sister's husband at the time. (gasps) They're not married anymore. What the fuck is his problem? I'll tell you. Okay. So it all comes about. So let me back up a second. So a couple days or weeks shortly after the two nieces return from their stay with with their Aunt Liz, they are playing with Barbies and they're like taking their clothes off and doing like sexual things with the Barbies. Okay. And their grandma catches them doing this. So the grandma and Javier sit the two little girls down and they're like, what happened? Where did you see this? You must have. And then they start putting thoughts into their head. Well, you must have seen this at Liz's house when you were staying there with her four lesbian friends. Yeah, because they're obviously having sex in front of you. Yeah. So they put these like really awful <sighs> thoughts into these little girls' minds. What and the hell? Then they go a step further. And Stephanie says that Javier forced her to lie and threatened her to lie as a seven-year-old. How scary that would that be? That's terrifying. I know. And Javier is Stephanie's dad? Yes. So it's her dad telling her to do this. And I'm sure that she's like trusts in him and it's like, okay, I mean, may, this is probably the right thing to do. Yeah. There's tons of studies about out there about children and sexual abuse and how they conceptualize it and yeah, I how mean, it can be, how it can go wrong and how it can go right. And like yeah. just a lot about a lot of it out there and telling a little girl this happened to you this must have happened to you or this is what happened to you and you're gonna say it or we're gonna have a problem is awful yeah I completely agree that's really horrible so this wasn't only inspired by what you guessed that they were against Liz because she was lesbian but also Javier the entire time that Liz was living with him when he was still married to Rosemary, mm-hmm. like come on to her all the time when she was 16 and Yuck. just be really gross to her. And then later after Rosemary and Javier split up and Liz is pregnant as like a teenager living on her own, mm-hmm. he's like, let me marry you and take care of the baby with you. And she was like, no, 
I don't want to do that. I'm she's first a, of all, I'm lesbian, and secondly, yeah. like you're my sister's ex husband, and you're gross. Yes. Yeah. But Ew. so there's a lot of obviously speculation that the rejection from Liz, coupled with the mm-hmm. un just unwillingness to accept who Liz was, created this lie. Yeah. It's like men in rejection. I, can't. I know. <laughs> just deal with it. Yes. It's like we all have to deal with it. You should just deal with it like a normal person. If women can deal with rejection like normal people, then men should be able to do it too. Yeah. So no excuses. Exactly. Like, fuck your feelings. But, like, sorry. But <laughs> uh, that makes me so angry. Yeah. So basically the aunt or the grandma and the dad are like, this is what happened. And, like, the lie just grows and grows from there mm-hmm. until they're testifying at a trial, trial. Where they're actually convicting them of this. Yeah. Isn't that great? I hate it. So Stephanie said her dad made her lie to the police and made her lie at the trial and is now, now we're like currently, is threatening her to say that if she tells anyone he will, she has kids now of her own. Mm-hmm. She's like a grown up now. Yeah. He's like, if you tell anyone, I will get your children taken away from you. So he's like threatening her still. How brave of her to come forward. I know. Good job. Like, especially since she's probably been sitting on this lie, obviously, for her entire life. I wonder, like, that, she might not have known that it was a yeah, lie. She might she not, not have realized understood. that until she got older. Yeah, and then processed the entire thing because, and I like what you had said. Like, we can't blame her for what happened because she was seven. Yeah, and she's not fully developed yet. She puts complete trust in her parents, which I did that when I was seven. If my parents told me to do something, I would have been like, "Okay, cool." I had no concept of right and wrong necessarily at that point in my life. I was seven. So she, obviously the same rules apply here. Yeah. And I just think it's so admirable that even after the threat that Mm -hmm. her father has made on her children, that she comes forward and is like, no, this is insane. And I wouldn't blame her if that was like the breaking point. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, this was actually a lie. Yeah, because she might have been, because her dad, like Javier on this whole documentary, this whole time he's like, I didn't write, I, I never came on to Liz. I never offered that to her. And there's, like, love letters, like, physical love letters proving that he wrote to Liz. And it's like, stop lying. He's literally denying everything. And he Mm -hmm. was like, I just want what is best for Stephanie and blah, blah, blah. So. Oh, do you? Annoying. You make her lie in front of an actual jury and, like, threaten her children and you want what's best for her. That's nice. (laughs) Good. Good, good, good. So. The two main causes of of wrongful convictions are one, misidentification of Ooh, witnesses, yes. and two, junk science. Yes. And those are both present in this story, but... I like that term, junk science. I do, too. That's amazing. The San Antonio Four weren't misidentified as the perpetrators because there were no perpetrators. This no, crime didn't, didn't even happen. happen. And that's just... I don't, Wrapping your head around that is really awful like, and terrifying to think that people are being convicted, wrongfully convicted of crimes, not because they're confused about who it, it is, but because someone completely made it up. Yeah, it's like it didn't even happen. And I guarantee that that mostly happens with like children sex assault cases because, like I said earlier, even in the trial I was watching and I believed in the person's innocence, I found myself being like, but they're little babies yes, and they're telling angel. this awful story and something yes. happened to them probably. Yes. And it's really hard to 
think that a kid is lying about that. Right. But then you have stories like this where this is happening. So I'm just saying, you know, give people a chance. Like, Mm -hmm. presume presume innocence. Of course. And that's what we should be doing. I mean, that's like, you are innocent until you are proven guilty. Yeah, that's not what happens. (laughs) No, that's not what happens, unfortunately, but that's what's supposed to be happening. (laughs) It's in our constitution. So just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) So Stephanie's sister, who was the nine-year-old niece, she refused to recant her story. She didn't really want anything to do with it. And their relationship is strained as a result. But I don't really blame her either because that, I'm sure, was really, really hard for Stephanie to do. It is the right thing to do. But I know that, I mean, I can imagine how she would struggle with that herself. So after this being recanted and after the study coming out, Um, Some things start to move along for the San Antonio Four. So in 2012, Anna was released on parole. So nothing to really do with anything. She just was on, she like succeeded at a parole hearing and was Mm -hmm. let out. But she was having a hard time because she had to register as a sex offender. And like I said earlier, that's a lot of looking over your shoulder all the time to make Mm -hmm. sure you're not breaking the rules. Yeah. Children are everywhere. Absolutely. Like, the next time you go to the grocery store, like, the next time you just leave your house, look at how many children are constantly around you. Yes. And then think about how the position that people who are sex offenders are are in. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really hard. Yeah. How? What's the radius that you have to be that you have to be within? It varies by state statute. So. Okay. And that's another thing. Anytime you move, you have to re-register. If mm-hmm. you're you have to get permission to like leave, leave. the state, you have yeah. to you're. It's really difficult, and some people really, really need it, and there's a very good reason that it is that strict, strict. but that doesn't apply to everyone. And no. Again, a, people get on the list because they pee in the street. Quit when peeing in the street. That makes me so nervous. Kaylin does that all the time, and I'm like, quit it. It's like, stop. <laughs> you are going to be arrested. Yes, I don't agree with this law, but stop it. <laughs> because that's what it is. So if you get caught, that's you'll yeah, you'll get on the list. You just have to be careful. Don't, don't pee in the street. Yeah. That's it. Stop doing that. There are bathrooms. There are literally there are literally places to pee specifically for that. Do it in there. Anyway. And wash your hands. Yes. So in 2013, another win. Um, a bill passes in Texas that allows for habeas relief for cases suspected to be involved with junk science. So basically, like, it comes from, like, a writ of habeas corpus, which is just you bring, it's a hearing where we make sure that we're not wrongfully imprisoning people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it means something like bring the body or, I don't know what it actually means in Latin, but that's the bodies. It's just to make sure people aren't being imprisoned. Yeah. What what does habeas corpus mean in Latin? I know corpus is body. I think it means produce the body or something. Let's look it up. Yes. Writ of habeas Corpus, Latin. What do you mean? May you have the body. That's what it means. Yeah. So. Interesting. Obviously, in line with, are we wrongfully holding someone? Yes. So, this new bill passes, and it says, like, you can now call a hearing, regardless of, like, the appeal status of your case, to make sure, essentially, to address Why are they there? Did the junk science put them there? Is this a problem? So that happens in 2013. 
At that same year, Dr. Kellogg, the expert witness, agrees to sign an affidavit stating that her previous testimony was factually inaccurate since science has changed. So obviously, two very good reasons to make sure we aren't wrongfully holding the San Antonio Four. Mm-hmm. So that same year, Liz, Chris, and Cassie are released on bond because of this bill and because the prosecution agreed to let's reconsider some stuff. Yeah. So that's nice. Yeah. That they released them. Yeah. The, actually, the DA's office at the time, I don't know if it was the same DA in charge when they were originally convicted, but in like the the 2000, early 2010s, when this is all kind of coming about, they're actually really cooperative. And they're like, we, awesome. they're like we want to find the truth as well. If we wrongfully convicted someone, that sucks and we would like to help. But I don't know if it was the same DA when they were originally convicted. Probably not. So, I'm going to say probably not, very highly probably not. Probably not, but also that's a long time for someone to change and mm-hmm. become a better DA. So Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we also have to take into consideration the time and the influence of like societal normalities mm-hmm. and things. Because unfortunately, people, when you grow up in certain like environments where certain ideologies are everywhere... It's just sort of, it's your sphere of influence. It's like what you absorb in your mind. It's not like these people were in the middle of San Francisco where LGBTQ communities were very prominent. This is like in Texas where those things were not talked about, especially amongst the Latina community as well, or Latinx community. So it's just kind of like, you know. Yeah, and a lot of these, well, a lot of Latin communities and families are very Catholic, and yes. these women express that in the documentary, too, that that might have been why their families were so against it. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was Anna's mom. She, in the documentary, says that she talked to her priest about it and was like, oh what do God. I do? And he said, your only job is to love her, which made See, me want to cry, and I don't cry me, very oh, much. Man. See, there's there's just like some really good people out there. And it's so unfortunate that they're the minorities amongst religious people. We hear about these like savior priests or savior pastors or whatever. They're like, your only job is to love your whatever. And um, it's just unfortunate that like there's only like one or two of them in existence. Yeah. But anyway, let's go back to the story. What happens next? Okay, so I don't know if I said this already, but in 2013, Liz, Chris, and Cassie are released on bond Mm -hmm. due to this bill and Mm -hmm. recanting and all that that jazz signing and, (laughs) And, you know, false study stuff. Yes. Good. And in 2016, they have the wonderful hearing to determine what will happen to these women. So... The original judge, Judge Pat Priest, that's funny, Priest. That is kind of funny. Priest, yeah. um, Presides over this hearing, and he was the original judge in the trial as well. Okay. And a couple things could happen here. They could be fully, they could be found what is called actually innocent, which is basically you're actually innocent. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Sorry about it. Um, You can be. Sorry about it. You can be granted a new trial, which would essentially be the judge saying, you don't fully meet the bar of actually innocent, but we'll give you another one to prove it. Again, sorry. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Here's a new trial. (laughs) My bad. Um, Or they could say, none of this is convincing. Go finish your sentence. Like, you're going back to prison. Not sorry. Goodbye. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) So... What happens is 
after Dr. Kellogg's affidavit is put into evidence, like we all know by now, that evidence, not true. Not true. The recanting, she test Stephanie testifies. There's also another expert who testifies about like where all this went wrong. And it's like a really clear picture is painted for this judge. But unfortunately, he does not find them actually innocent, but he does uh, grant them new trials. Mm-hmm. So that same year, <laughs> sorry, I just think that's so ridiculous that he doesn't find them actually. And what he had a problem with, which I guess I could, I I sympathize with this statement that he made, but it, it's not so strong that it would have persuaded me to find them not actually innocent. Okay, is that he doesn't love people calling Dr. Kellogg's science junk science because it wasn't junk science at the time, and I'm like, you're not wrong. No, but, but it is today. Yes, and today I think it's that, still science. Like he was just had an issue with people acting like Dr. Kellogg was just this Not evil legit. woman who yeah. purposefully put these women away when she didn't. I've said that from the beginning. Like, and no one thought she was. Everyone no. was like, she. I mean, it'd be the same thing. Like I said, if someone testifying to hair follicle evidence or blood splatter evidence mm-hmm. or anything that we used to use left and right mm-hmm. that was proven to be scientific. And then later found through advancements in technology not to be. Yeah. Same thing. Like, people aren't purposefully doing that. I mean, some people probably are, but not everyone is purposefully, like, perjuring. No, because <laughs> um, it was a legitimate and it wouldn't form even be perjury of scientific at that time, testimony. Because she wasn't lying at the time. Yeah. No. Like, I, it's so, new. It's new evidence. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, like, that was his issue. And, well, it just sounds like a technicality, but okay. Yeah. Don't love Judge Priest. But at least he doesn't find them... Completely, completely guilty, guilty again. Yeah. So that same year, uh, there is a change.org pet- petition that reaches over 25,000 signatures. Simultaneously, this documentary is being made. Articles are coming out. Mm-hmm. The girls or the women's story is getting bigger and bigger and garnering a lot of support around the country and the world. Yeah. And, and this is in 2016, you said? Yes. And also the West Memphis Three had been exonerated recently. And that also had like a satanic panic element to it. Like, mm-hmm. it's There's just a lot of things. stuff's going on. The climate's and, changing. Yeah. And so must the legal system. Yeah. And the LGBTQ community was very active in 2016. And there were actually a lot of hate crimes that were occurring in that year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really violent year for the LGBTQ community. So I'm sure that a lot of attention was being drawn to that community as well right. during that time period. And yeah, probably. And like all this coming together, the in 2016, the Court of Criminal Appeals granted exonerations to the San Antonio <gasps> Four. And they were found actually innocent. Yes. And District Attorney Nico LaHood, who again, I don't know if he was the district attorney at the time of the convictions, but he says... Um, quote, I pray for peace and a new beginning for them. And like I said, they were pretty cooperative in, like, you know, obviously representing the people, which is their job, while admitting what they did and basically saying, like, what can I do to help if we did wrongfully convict them? Here's, like, he, they, like, handed over their files to the Innocence Project. They were cooperative the whole time. So right. normally we, we would be against them, but they were pretty helpful in this case. <laughs> That's nice. And, Their redeeming quality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and the documentary I've been repeatedly referencing is called Southwest of Salem. 
Isn't that a great <gasps> oh name? Oh my God. The Story of the San Antonio Four by Deborah Eskenazi. And it is a wonderful documentary. It follows the women. Uh, I think it probably starts in like maybe like the mid 2000s when he, she starts interviewing them. Like mm-hmm. in prison, she follows the whole thing. She shows footage of the women before all of this happened and before their lives were ruined and it's really moving, and my favorite part that you can attest that I'm a sociopath and never cry. Okay. Yes, I can. And there was a part where Liz sees Stephanie for the first time since she babysat her for a week uh-huh. when she was seven, and Liz says, like, she comes into the house. They're kind of like, hey, what's, like, being normal or whatever, yeah. and then Liz is like, I just want you to know I'm not mad at you, and I want you to release this, and I want you to be able to move on with your life, and I, none of us are mad at you, and mm-hmm. it's okay, and then Stephanie just breaks down crying, and she's like, but it's not okay. I'm so sorry, and she was like, uh-huh. I'm not mad at you. You were a little kid, and and it's just like, ugh, it just makes me want to cry because, like, yes. all, I mean, like, because Liz obviously spent a like by that time it was like almost half of her life yeah. in prison and the the great part of your life too like the part of the life we're in right now yeah her adult life yeah her twenties and thirties yeah the ultimate dream you know yeah. you're a young adult it's like where everything happens and she had just had a baby and oh my her God, son I grew out forgot about I know. that. And, oh, the other scene that's wonderful is when the women get released on Bond and everyone's just there, like, so excited. So, great, great film, um, again, by Deborah Eskenazi. And it was actually cited in the court's decision, which shows the power of documentaries. Of journalism. Yes. And the article, or the documentary, along with articles written in Rolling Stone, the Texas Observer, and the New York Times were all cited in the court's decision. And the movie was nominated for an Emmy and won numerous awards, including a Peabody Award. Hell yeah, it did. The GLAAD Media Award for Outstanding Documentary and the Critics' Choice Award for Best First Feature. (gasps) Yes. So, is her name, did you say her name was Deborah? Yes. Deborah. Deborah. You amazing woman. In an article written by The Cut titled San Antonio 4 Exonerated of Satanic Ritual Abuse Rape by Jenny Miller, Eskenazi is quoted by saying, This is a stunning victory, not only for the San Antonio 4, but for gay rights. I couldn't have imagined that six years ago, with nothing more than a camera and shoe leather journalistic persistence, that this day would come. It shows the power of art. It shows that even with no cultural capital, power, or resources, we can make a great change. Yes. Which is so true. So true. And she's right that this isn't only a step forward for the San Antonio Four, but also for gay rights, because it highlights how easily that identity can cause a wrongful conviction. Mm -hmm. And that jury prejudice and all of that stuff, the satanic panic, even take that out of the picture, it's still Texas and it's still for lesbian Latinas and that probably still would have happened. Mm -hmm. And it draws attention to that. And even though it can't undo what happened, it at least acknowledges how shitty it was and everyone agrees. (laughs) Right, exactly. So, do you want to know where the San Antonio Four are now? Obviously. Okay. (laughs) So, Chris now lives with her mom in Houston and she 
didn't decide she decided to not go back to become a full veterinarian due to how long the schooling is, mm-hmm. but she is working to become a veterinarian technician. Awesome. Good for her. And Liz, this is my favorite one, or my okay. second favorite one. <laughs> she married a woman named Angel that she met in prison. Really? And, Ca- and Cassie was her maid of honor. That's really cute. And Cassie also married a woman that she met at her first job out of prison. And she now works at a law firm doing, awesome. like, business stuff for the law firm. Yes. And my personal favorite, Anna. hmm She offered to be a full-time volunteer for the Texas Innocence Project. Yes. And they said, no, thank you. We would like to give you a full-time job with the Innocence Project. Well, thanks, Innocence Project. So she works with the organization that exonerated her. And that That's just so exciting. It makes me so happy. <laughs> I love um, that. Last year, the records were expunged, and they, in basically everywhere, it varies, like how this occurs varies by state, but you are compensated for your time in prison if you are exonerated. Mm-hmm. And each of them, it amounted to, they each, because Liz spent a little bit more time, and mm-hmm. I found that hers amounted to about a million dollars. Okay. So I'm assuming that the other three women were a little bit less than that, but about a million they all wow, donate. Okay. <laughs> they all donated one hundred thousand dollars for of their compensation to the Innocence Project of Texas. Holy Jesus, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. That's so. four hundred thousand dollars to more exonerations. Yes, yes. So that is the story of the San Antonio Four. Some really inspirational Latinas, but also lesbians. Mm-hmm. And what a better time to talk about that than in Pride Month? And yes. I think that there's tons of stories we could talk about of people in the LGBT community who've moved forward criminal justice because there are tons of issues surrounding that. But hopefully this highlighted a couple of them. And yes, that was awesome. I'd never heard of these women before. That's really, really cool. I've I heard of that. them, but only because my dad lives in San Antonio. So I see there you go. That makes sense. heard of it. But I've never been to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> never anywhere. No, Don't, I mean, there's no reason to go there. But yeah. <laughs> Except for to see the Selena Museum, maybe. That's it. That might be your only only reason. reason I want to (laughs) go. And then, like, the giant Selena statue. Yes. In where did she live? Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi. See, I was going to say habeas corpus. (laughs) Not right. Oh, oh well, just so many, so many things. Anyway. I hope I explained that correctly. Sorry if I didn't. I haven't Habeas gone to law purpose. school yet. Sorry if we say anything incorrect yeah. about the law. We're going to figure it out, but and then we're going to make another podcast. Yes, and then we're going to be like, here's everything we said wrong on our other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> here's It'll what we great. learned. <laughs> here's what habeas corpus actually is. I can look it up on Google what the actual thing is. I did. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. But... Go watch that documentary. It's on Hulu, and it's wonderful, and it'll make you cry, and it'll make you happy and angry, and it's wonderful. Yes. All the feelings you would want in a documentary. Mm -hmm. And again, don't forget about our Instagram rule. Go comment on our Summer Vibes post. Tell us what Mm -hmm. cases you want to hear. Get three friends to like it, and we'll cover it. Next week, we'll cover some actual murders. Some real murders. Yes, we promise we'll both do just a good run-of-the-mill murder. fashion murder. Yeah. It's going to be great. Until then. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.